Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Adam Talks, a podcast that takes an alternative look at retirement. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of IRA Financial. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Adam Talks. Hope everyone's doing great. Really excited about today's episode. A bit of a downer, because uh, we're gonna talk about inherited IRAs and some of the rules involved in taking distributions from inherited IRAs. So um, important topic, a bit of a downer because we are talking about death and what happens when you receive an IRA from a spouse or a non-spouse and what are your options. Um, unfortunately, it's an important topic. Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about this um, with COVID-19. Um, I've had a bunch of, unfortunately, clients pass away from COVID. Um, recently, just spoke to a few um, surviving spouses last week, actually, who lost spouses to COVID. So this got me really thinking about doing a podcast on inherited IRAs. I like typically to be more upbeat in Adam Talks content, but just thought it was really important. Uh, you know, we've lost 160, 170,000 plus people uh, already due to COVID. And obviously just, you know, people are dying for you know, other uh, natural causes as well. Um, so with 50 million IRAs, $10 trillion of IRAs, that is just IRAs without even including 401ks, 403bs, 457s. Uh, it's a good chance most of us, if not all of us, are going to be touched with the issue of what do we do uh, with an inherited IRA. So before I jump into this podcast, just a few house cleaning matters. Um, have a new book that's coming out called Seven Figures by 70. Um, it's on Kindle and Amazon. It's going to be in paperback as well. Um, check it out. It, it's an important book. Uh, definitely something that I think everyone should know about when it comes to the powers of the retirement system. It's a book that should be taught in every school, high school, definitely college, um, because it deals with how we can really generate wealth in the quickest and most efficient manner by using the retirement system. And it goes into examples, talks about different types of retirement accounts, how they work, talks about the concept of deferral, compounded interest, and then really focuses on three main points about the importance of starting, being consistent, and then trusting the process and letting the math work for you. So uh, check it out. It's a good um, gift or, or um, item to give to a loved one or friend who um, maybe is not focused and should be focused on how to save for retirement. So just a little bit of some um, uh, promo. Um, Appreciate you guys bearing with me. Also, two other podcasts. Um, definitely check out AdMail and AdBits. Two weekly podcasts. Uh, really cool podcasts. Subscribe. Whether you listen to podcasts on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, I think you'll enjoy them. So let's jump into inherited IRA. Uh, what happens? Unfortunately, if you are receiving an inherited IRA, it's because someone you love passed away. Whether you're a primary or a contingent beneficiary, 
there's a couple things to consider and some important rules you need to understand when dealing with inherited IRAs. Uh, most importantly, the rules have changed, specifically when it addresses non-spousal IRAs. So let's start with spousal IRAs. That's the first thing you're certainly going to want to think about when you receive an inherited IRA notice. Uh, obviously, you're going to know who passed away. If it's spousal, there's different rules than non-spousal. Let's start with spousal. Spousal, if your spouse passes away, you have a few options. Number one, you could keep the IRA in your deceased spouse's name and his or her name, and the IRA will still be in their name. If they're under 72, don't have to do much. That IRA can continue to grow. If they're over 72, you have to take what's called requirement of distributions. And then there's different tables depending on the spouse, if the spouse is 10 years younger than you or not. And basically, you can expect you're going to pay around 3 3.5% each year uh, of the value of the IRA as a taxable distribution, known as a requirement of distribution. And as the person gets older, the RMD obviously is higher because the idea is that the IRS is going to deplete the IRA eventually over your life expectancy um, so that they can take back into income all the benefits you've derived from that IRA. So that's why it's called deferral because you're only deferring the tax. You are not eliminating it. Whereas a Roth IRA, which we'll get to in a minute, you can potentially eliminate any tax. So if you have a spousal IRA, your first option is leave the IRA in your deceased spouse's name. That's not the common approach. The only time you would probably do that is if you are over 72 and your deceased spouse is under 72. Uh, this way you can prolong taking the RMD so long as you don't need the money. The most common approach is you move the IRA into your name. Okay, you simply just move the IRA into your name. The IRA becomes your IRA and then the RMD rules based off your age. So if your deceased spouse is 65 and you're 62, you move the IRA into your name, it's titled in your name, and now you have another 10 years to have that IRA grow um, before you have to take RMDs. So that's the most common approach. Most people will move the IRA into their name, and then the RMD rules will work off their age. The second thing to consider if it's a spousal IRA is the type of IRA. If it's a pre-tax IRA, traditional IRA, then the RMD regime will apply. If it's a Roth, IRA, then there would be no RMD. Um, and that's one of the main advantages of the Roth IRA is it continues to grow without tax. Yes, you can pull that money out anytime you want over 59 and a half, so long the Roth can open at least five years without paying any tax, but you don't have to do an RMD, which is huge. Um, the rules differ when it's a non-spousal IRA, which we'll get to in a minute for both traditional and Roths. But again, just to recap, if you are a surviving spouse, you receive a spousal IRA, inherited IRA, two options, leave it into the deceased spouse's name or put it into your name and then it becomes your IRA. Let's move to non-spousal, which uh, has experienced a recent rule change, which has changed the way people tax plan when it comes to um, leaving money to non-spousal heirs like children or grandchildren. Prior to the SECURE Act, which was passed in December 2019, there was something called a stretch IRA. And the stretch IRA rules worked 
basically that if you leave your IRA to a non-spouse, like a child, the child then has a longer or a stretch amount of time to take that IRA into income and eventually allows the IRA to stretch out. And the whole idea is that if you leave your IRA to someone who's in their 20s or 30s, when you calculate the life expectancy of that person, it's going to be a much longer life expectancy than someone in their 70s, meaning the younger person can stretch out the life of the IRA over a longer period of time. And why would that person want to do that? Well, number one is if they don't need that income, that IRA can grow, right? It will have a longer time to grow, meaning the IRA should keep its value longer than it would if it had been transferred to someone who was older that had a lower life expectancy and the percentages, annual percentages that the IRA would have to be taken into income would be much higher. So if you left an IRA to a non-spouse who was 70, maybe it's a six or 7% um, formula. Whereas if you left, left it to someone who's in their 20s or 30s, maybe it's a two or two and a half percent. So clearly, the less you're pulling out, the longer the IRA has to grow. So that was really attractive. There was a lots of tax planning around the stretch IRA. That has been eliminated by the SECURE Act. The SECURE Act changed everything and basically said, okay, we're going to just say 10 years. Forget about all these stretch rules. If you left it to a trust, it was five years. Forget about that. We're just going to do 10 years. So now, starting in 2020, if you receive an IRA from a non-spouse, again, if it's a spouse, different regime, right? You can leave it in the surviving spouse's name, or you can move it into your name, and then you have to deal with your age and the RMD, RMD rules, which are now 72. They used to be 70 and a half. They are now 72 starting in 2020. Non-spouse, meaning to anyone other than a spouse, 10-year rule. So you don't have to worry about anything else. It's 10 years. You can take that money out all in year one. You can pro rata over 10 years, and you can even wait till the 10th year to take it out. Okay. So you have some options, but that stretch IRA strategy has been eliminated because the most you can stretch now is 10 years, where in the past people were able to stretch many, many, many years longer than 10. Um, in some cases could even been 40 or 50, depending on how young the beneficiary was on the non-spousal IRA. So that's the first thing to consider, right? Spousal or non-spousal. Second, what type of IRA? Traditional or Roth? Traditional IRAs are subject to RMDs at 72. And if it's the non-spousal IRA, traditional IRA, 10-year rule. Roth IRAs are not subject to the RMD rules, meaning if you got an Roth IRA inherited from a spouse, it becomes your Roth IRA in your name, or you can leave it in the decedent spouse's name, and it's not subject to RMDs. However, when you pass and you leave it to a non-spouse, then that 10-year rule kicks in, okay? No tax on the distribution that the non-spousal beneficiary will take, but he or she only has 10 years to take it out. Same rules apply whether you leave it to a trust. Trust used to be five years, now it's 10 years. You gotta take that money out after 10 years. Now the trust has some potential tax planning to do. It could distribute it um, to a beneficiary, um, but there is a 10 year rule on 
effectively distributing that income. The only difference is whether that RMD, that 10-year distribution is subject to tax or not. In the case of a Roth, it would not be subject to tax. In the case of a pre-tax IRA, it would be subject to tax. And that's something the beneficiary would have to pay on his or her tax return. Okay. One other thing to mention is that, believe it or not, you could forfeit your right to an inheritance. So you can basically say, I don't want the inherited IRA. And believe it or not, this happens quite a bit. I just actually had a few clients do this several months ago and one actually a few weeks ago that didn't want the IRA. They didn't need the money. They'd rather give it to a sibling. Uh, one case want to give it to their kid. Um, and basically they forfeited their right. They had to put it in writing. It has to be not done within nine months of receiving the right. And you basically could not have taken any money from that IRA. And it's a final um, decision. But you do it in writing, you do it within nine months, and you could basically disclaim your inheritance to this IRA, and it will pass to someone else. So again, it's another tax planning tool. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Something to be aware of. Okay. So the big things to be cautious about is who's the IRA coming from, traditional or Roth, spousal, non-spousal, do you need the money? Does disclaiming make sense? Can you potentially forfeit it and give it to someone else who needs the money? So just something to consider. Um, using trusts have some benefit. There's some tax planning potentially, especially in the Roth, if you leave it to a trust. Um, at that point, uh, the trust will have 10 years to distribute it. Um, and then obviously it would have a little bit more control over the process, especially if you have younger uh, beneficiaries um, that you want to have retain some control over how those funds are used. But unfortunately, with COVID-19 still uh, wreaking havoc across the country and across the world uh, with obviously tons of Americans um, dealing with it and many dying, uh, I thought it was important to go through the inherited IRA rules. It's kind of a, a downer. I'm sorry, I got to do this. But again, I think it's important at some point in our life, whether we lose a, a spouse or a non-spouse parent, um, we're probably going to have to deal with this. And unfortunately, there's always confusion as to, hey, what do I do? Okay, so what you should do is basically, if you do receive notice that someone has passed and you are a beneficiary, you'll know this either from the whoever is in charge of the will uh, or if it's probate um, or generally that's how it's identified, whether you are a beneficiary, but not always. Sometimes you are notified by the IRA custodian um, because what happens when you open an IRA, you have to complete a beneficiary form where you list your primary and contingent beneficiaries. Primary is obviously the first person or persons that receive the IRA upon death. But if, God forbid, you pass simultaneously, you know, if it's a husband and wife and God forbid they pass together on a, on a car accident, then it goes to the contingent beneficiaries, typically kids or siblings. And at that point, uh, based off how the primary beneficiary relates to the death, it could go to the contingents. Now, uh, once you're notified, the custodian will have record of the beneficiary form. Usually you want to coordinate with whoever's the trustee or the executor of the estate, making sure there's nothing in the will that somehow contradicts the beneficiary form. Usually it's easy 
In most cases, in my experience, uh, you're leaving it to a spouse. In fact, some states, community property states, will require you to have your spouse consent if you want to have a primary beneficiary that's not a surviving spouse. You'll have to have to get that surviving spouse to consent in writing to have it go to someone else, like a child. So in most cases, it's easy. It's going to the spouse as primary beneficiary, but that's not always the case. I've seen it where it goes to a child or someone else. In that case, you, you should have had the on the beneficiary form, there should be some record of the surviving spouse consenting. If that's not the case, the uh, transfer could be objected to uh, by uh, the surviving spouse. So I've seen that actually go down where it was actually a nightmare and we had to get the executor involved. They actually um, had to go against the will of the of the decedent spouse and actually give it to the surviving spouse because it contradicted the will. There was no written consent. Um, so it became a mess. So that's something you should consider if you have an IRA, make sure your beneficiary form is up to date. Um, if it's to a surviving spouse, it's usually, uh, what typically happens and kind of the norm. If you're leaving it to a non-surviving spouse as primary beneficiary and that's your intent, make sure it's written, make sure your will is lined up with the beneficiary form. If there's some contradictions, um, it, it could take, basically make it a much longer process to have um, you know, the will processed and have the funds dispersed to, to the heir. So just be cautious. The custodian will work with you. We, we, we do this all the time, unfortunately. So that's something uh, that we have experience with. And so do most banks and financial institutions. Um, but just be cautious. You um, have to consider, obviously, what happens. Now, when you receive a, an IRA, obviously, if it's spousal, it just goes into your name if that's what you choose. If it's non-spousal, it's titled differently. It shows you as the beneficiary, but it's still titled generally in the decedent's name. And then now you have 10 years to pull that money out and the custodian will code it accordingly. If it's a pre-tax IRA, you're going to pay income tax. It's basically just going to go on your 1040 tax return. You're going to pay tax on it. If it's a Roth, then it's not going to come out without tax. Assuming uh, the decedent's over 59 and a half and the Roth's been open at least five years. So that's something obviously to consider as what type of IRA it is, you can also forfeit it if you wish. Now, if you are a surviving spouse, remember there's different tables depending on if you're uh, 10 years younger or not of the decedent. Uh, kind of similar, but tables are a bit different. Um, and it, it, you're basically going to have to take around 3 to 4% into income each year. You can take more, you just can't take less. There's penalties for not taking the RMD. Uh, the RMD age has changed from 70 and a half to 72, uh, starting in January 2020. So you may have missed that because of COVID. Uh, some uh, banks, financial institutions have not even updated their forms or calculators uh, because of delays caused by COVID, just haven't been able to address that. But that's something you need to know about. Um, anyways, um, I think it's important um, items to, to know. You should know what your options are, what the rules are. Tax planning has been diminished. One other thing to mention is that, and this probably isn't relevant for most of us, but your IRA is part of your state. So if you die with assets over about $11.5 million, the, the um, unified credit, the exemption, um, the IRA is part of your estate. So it could technically be subject to estate tax as well. 
most people don't have an estate above $11.5 million, so it's really not an option. If Biden, um, one of Biden's proposals, which I talked about in last week's podcast, was to potentially reduce the estate tax unified credit pretty much down to like three and a half million. Um, so this could be an issue at some point. Also, one of his proposals, if the Democrats win the Senate, the removal of the step up in basis on death, which will be huge, uh, which will cause huge tax planning implications and cause enormous tax burdens on small businesses. Um, this will be a, another major benefit of the retirement account because there'll be no issue with step up basis since it's all in a retirement account. So I think that would create stimulus for, for again, focusing people's attention on saving through an IRA or 401k versus uh, a uh, taxable account. One other thing to notice, this podcast has been focused on IRAs, but th the rules apply to 401ks as well. Generally, what happens if you pass and you have a 401k, the surviving spouse will just move it to an IRA because technically, in order to be, in order to keep that money in a 401k, you can do it. A lot of plans allow you to keep the money in a 401k, but the investment options aren't as strong in, in a 401k versus an IRA. So most people, if God forbid, you know, your spouse worked at IBM or, and passed away, you would then be able to move the funds from the 401k to an IRA in your name and you'd have more investment options. And that's the last thing I want to talk about. Once you've figured out if it's a spousal, non-spousal, if it's pre-tax or Roth, the last thing is what are you going to do with the money? And now, obviously, it's up to you if the IRA is in your name, whether it's 10-year window or a longer window if it's a spousal IRA, you can obviously invest it in you know, stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, and obviously you can do alternative assets, which is obviously my uh, focus and, and what my um, passion is about educating people about the ability to diversify one's retirement portfolio through alternative assets. But it's just something I want to throw in there. You don't have to invest in alternative assets, of course, but it's just something that's out there. So you should just be aware of it if you would like to buy real estate or invest in private equity or hedge funds or do hard money loans or invest in a private business, it's there. The option exists and it's something that you should be educated about, just like you should know about the difference between a spousal or a non-spousal IRA, the difference between a traditional and Roth IRA. You should know there are differences and options in terms of how you invest the inherited IRA. So just something to be cautious about, an FYI, if you're interested. Um, but that really sums it up. Um, inherited IRAs um, are important because as the baby boomer generation gets older, um, we're going to be dealing with more transfers of wealth. COVID has been a wake-up call that, hey, you know, death happens. It's all around us. And unfortunately, with 50 million IRAs out there, $10 trillion in IRAs, $30 trillion in retirement funds, this will have a major financial impact on all of us. There'll be an enormous transfer of wealth from baby boomers to generation Xers and millennials in the next 10 or so years. So this is something we're all going to deal with. Uh, the rules changed in 2019 because of the SECURE Act. So I just thought it was a really good time. Unfortunately, I wish I did not have to talk about inherited IRAs. I hate dealing with inherited IRAs, especially in light of COVID. Uh, nothing worse than talking to uh, a surviving spouse or a family member. In fact, I actually, this was a horrible um, story, but I spoke to a young lady uh, a few months ago, but actually about six weeks ago, whose father who's a doctor and whose brother, also a doctor, passed away of COVID within a month. 
Uh, father was young, 72, brother in his 40s. And actually, young lady, she's also a doctor. And uh, she's now having to deal with all this. She basically didn't even know what an IRA was. She didn't even know that her father had a self-directed IRA. She had no clue. Turns out the investment was a very good investment in real estate in New York, and it was doing really well, but she just had to get her arms around everything. So just an FYI, if you are doing alternative assets, self-directed IRA, solo, talk to your spouse, talk to even your children if they're old enough, explain to them what's going on. It's important, keep your files together with your will, explain where your money is. Someone should know um, what's going on because we've seen with COVID, you know, things, look okay you got the sniffle you got a cough and then a week later you're in the hospital you know grasping for air and uh potentially uh even worse than that so uh again i'm not saying tell your kids every cent you have but explain to them hey i've done some investments in in mutual funds or etfs or i have some money at fidelity or schwab or i have a self-directed ira with ira financial or a solo 401k with ira financial my money's at capital one or my money's in this investment or that investment, just you don't have to get into the financial details, which I know just from conversations with my parents gets you know a little bit, um, probably a little, a little strange and um, you know uncomfortable uh, because I don't think you want to tell your kids exactly what you have. Uh, you want to keep them motivated and hungry to succeed on their own. But I think it's important to just let them know, hey, God forbid something happens to me. I have an account here, I have an account there. This is the person you need to call. This is the phone number, the email address. Just prepare, especially if you're doing self-directed IRA solos. Um, it's something probably your kids, your surviving spouse doesn't have that much information on or education about. So I think you wanna just briefly fill them in or at least give them contact persons that God forbid there's problems, they can, they can address the issue and get the questions answered they need uh, and at least know where all the assets are because there are so many unclaimed IRAs and, and most of them, there's actually something called a safe harbor IRA. What happens is if you have under $5,000 in your IRA, in your 401k and you leave your job, if you don't tell the employer what you're gonna do with the money, meaning roll it over here or there, they have the right to just move it to an IRA somewhere else and that IRA company is supposed to get a hold of you and try to find you, but that doesn't always happen, whether you change your email, change your address. So there's actually, I don't want to say millions, but probably close to millions of unclaimed IRAs out there. And at some point, what happens is the custodian that's administering your safe harbor IRA basically just eats up the fees and just diminishes the money down. Now, most of these IRAs are quite small, but I can't, I probably get 15 to 20 calls a week from people saying, hey, um, where's my IRA? You have my IRA? I said, nope. Uh, oh, I just Googled your number. Um, I saw IRA Financial. I think you're holding my IRA. And we say, no, we don't know who you are. Um, but you'd be shocked how many people lose track of their money. They change jobs every few months. They have a hundred bucks here, 500 bucks there. And it just gets lost. And if you add all that up, it's probably, you know, trillions of dollars of, of retirement money that just gets lost that gets eaten up by fees or the government ends up taking it. So just keep track of it. Tell people, tell your family where your money is. Uh, you don't have to give them the details, but just, or leave leave word with your will, leave notes in the safe next to your will, or have your lawyer or accountant have a note 
explaining what to do and where your assets are on your death because I've seen it with COVID. It's a nightmare for your kids to track down where the assets are, let alone what to do with the inherited IRA rules. That's not even the major problem. The biggest problem is finding out where the money is, what the investment is, and what do I do, and what are my rights and options. So I hope this podcast not being too negative, but at least educating all of you that, hey, plan for your kids. Think about putting notes together about where all your accounts are. Keep it somewhere safe next to your will or have your attorney or accountant hold it. And then understand if you do inherit an IRA, uh, what are some of your options? Um, it's something you can talk about with your spouse, even with your kids. Say, hey, if I pass away, I'm going to leave money to mom or dad, and then it's going to you. You're going to have 10 years, so think about that. Or I'm not going to leave it to mom or dad. I'm going to leave it to you guys. So think about what you invested in. Hey, I invested in a private equity or a private business that could be a huge home run or invested in this real estate that could end up being worth millions for you. So just educate your family. Um, obviously, you can still be private, but just make sure they know where all the assets are because I can tell you I've seen just nightmares kids dealing with death and not knowing what to do with the assets and there's capital commitments, there's expenses that need to be paid through the asset and, and no one's dealing with it. So an FYI, just be cautious. Hopefully you don't have to deal with inherited IRAs. We all can live to 120 and never deal with this stuff, but unfortunately it happens. So be safe, be healthy. I, I wish you and your family only, only good health, um, but unfortunately this stuff does happen. So um, I hope you, you found the last 25 or 30 minutes um, somewhat uh, educational, hope not too negative, uh, but really appreciate the feedback, the support, uh, self-directed retirement nation. You guys are awesome. Watching my videos, listening to my podcast, reading my blogs. You really uh, keep me inspired, keep me motivated to keep pumping up more content. So really appreciate it. Check out my other podcast, Ad Bits and Ad Mail. Uh, if you're in the self-directed retirement world, you guys are, are going to really enjoy it and learn a lot. I really believe it. So um, again, check it out. Be safe. Um, stay healthy. And um, talk to you soon. Thanks again. <laughs>